Father, we thank you for this day that you have blessed us with. We are thankful for your grace, your mercy, to wake us up this morning as we behold the greatness of who you are, as we reflect on um, one of the songs that we sang this morning, In Christ Alone, Our Hope is Found. Your Son bled on the cross, your Son resurrected, your Son died in our place that we wouldn't experience your wrath. And we are so grateful for that. And I ask, Father, that you would help me to teach your word this morning, to preach your word faithfully, and that you would open the eyes of my heart, that you would use me as an instrument to bless your name, that we would all come away um, from this church service today encouraged to understand the sufficiency and supremacy of your son, Jesus Christ. And so be with us this morning. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may all be seated this morning. To bring the word this morning, I consider the, the weight of it, um, the gravity of it, how important the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ is. And before we dive into these scriptures, I would like to start with my introduction here. Dating back to 2011, at a low point of my life, I was in, invited to attend an apostolic charismatic church in Union City. Members were insisting that I didn't understand the fullness of Christ and that I needed to be baptized in Jesus' name, not the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And praying on my biblical illiteracy in that time, I was convinced and I signed up to be baptized in Jesus' name as soon as possible. I did not know that I was signing up to commit my life to be a part of a false teaching church that believes in a heresy known as modalism. They don't believe that Jesus has existed since eternity past. Rather, they believe He came into existence when He was born of the Virgin Mary. They believe the Father changes modes into the Son, and after Christ resurrects, He ascends to heaven and He changes modes into the Holy Spirit. Additionally, the members of the church practiced ultra-continuationism. If that is even a term, I don't know, but I'm going to define it that way. They believe that all of the apostolic gifts of miracles, prophecy, and healing are for today. The Bible doesn't hold much authority or precedence because God speaks to apostolics directly and extra-biblically. The huge error about the apostolic doctrine is that the truth and reality of the Trinity is disregarded. And they teach members that the orthodox doctrine of the Trinity is heresy. Secondly, salvation is attained by faith plus works, which leads members to earn their salvation by a term called baptismal regeneration. 
Finally, the Bible is not sufficient, which encourages members to look outside of Scripture for answers or leads some to elevate themselves above Scripture because they are supposedly anointed little gods and God whispers special revelations into their ears directly. In a similar way, the church of Colossae was being deceived and led astray from the whole truth of who Jesus Christ is and what He has done. Paul received a report from Epaphras who planted the church in Colossae that new immature believers in the church have thought that the Gospel isn't sufficient enough. And they have endeavored to live by various heresies. And in response to this, Paul wrote a letter to the church of Colossae while in prison and passionately reminded them of Jesus Christ's true identity. Further, Paul emphatically admonishes to the Colossians to understand the deity and supremacy of Christ over his creation and over his church. Lastly, Paul illustrates how Jesus Christ has sufficiently reconciled sinners by dying on the cross in their place and resurrecting with power and authority and securing eternal life for those that believe in His Gospel. And as we reflect on last Sunday, how many of you remember what Pastor Dennis preached on? Let's highlight from Colossians Chapter 1, verse 1 through 14, Pastor Dennis stated the following What we believe dictates how we live. And through Paul's example of unceasing prayer and thanksgiving, we should be strengthened, complete, and understand that Christ is sufficient in combating false teaching. And lastly, because of the Colossian heresy, the church thought they were lacking something. Christ wasn't enough. And these beliefs included Gnosticism, asceticism, mysticism, and Jewish ritualism. At the end of the day, all of the Colossians only needed Jesus and a relationship with Him. And just to be honest, that is what all of us need today. Whether you believe and you need to cultivate your relationship even more, or whether you don't believe and you need to repent and believe in the Gospel. This leads me to state my proposition, and it is as follows. Be certain that Jesus Christ is sufficient to withstand false teaching and live a complete life in Christ. Let me say that once again. Be certain that Jesus Christ is sufficient to withstand false teaching and live a complete life in Christ. And why should we do that? Because the church of Colossae had a need, and that was to recognize the sufficiency of Christ alone and to stop searching and finding security in false gods, additives, and substitutions. Christ is enough. And Christ is supreme. He is not one of many gods. He is the only God. Are we finding sufficiency and contentment in Christ? Are we adding to our relationship or understanding of Christ? In this 
technological world, it's very easy to get caught up in social media and find ourselves adding to the newest trend or ideology into our lives. And we can have the tendency to add alcohol, drugs, and pornography to Christ and our relationship with Him. But let me tell you, church family, Jesus Christ is enough. We don't need to add anything else to our relationship with Him. And during and after the preaching, I pray that our church would understand that Christ is enough to combat false teaching. That our church would realize the supremacy of Christ, His rule and His reign over creation and His church, and lead us to overflowing joyful worship. And finally, that our church would be convinced that there is more to learn about Christ in God's Word. And Romans, 11, uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 33-36 through 36 reads, O oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him... And through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. And additionally, I have a, a point here that we need to view Christ as sufficient or deficient. And this will negatively or positively affect our spiritual lives, our philosophy of parenting, the longevity of our marriages, and our occupational integrity. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20 is a prerequisite for Colossians chapter 3 and 4. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20 specifically is known as a poem or a hymn that has been divided into two parts the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. Paul begins this Christ-centered hymn with the following, the supremacy of Christ in His creation, verses 15-17. through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Who is this Jesus that people are talking about? He is the image of the invisible God. This is why the second commandment says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water under the earth. Paul is correcting the false understanding about Christ being created rather than being the Creator. There was an Arian heresy that existed. One of the first great heresies from the foundation of the church at Pentecost from A.D. 29 to 33. All heresies were regarding the nature of Christ. They believed that Jesus was just a prophet, not God in the flesh. However, Paul is combating that Arian heresy 
and admonishing that Christ has existed since eternity past with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And Christ is the icon in Greek, where we get the word icon in English. And it is defined as a copy or a form of likeness. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And He is both a manifestation and representation of God. Proverbs 8, 27-30 reads, When He established the heavens, I was there. And He drew a circle on the face of the deep. When He made the skies above, when He established the fountains of the deep, when He assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress His command, when He marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside Him like a master workman, and I was daily His delight, rejoicing before Him always. Additionally, Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Some might think that this is referring to Christ being born or being a created being, but it is actually referring to the rights and the privileges of a firstborn and what they have. The rights and privileges were not given to the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, but to the second Adam, Jesus Christ. This also foreshadowed in, was foreshadowed in the book of Genesis chapter 25. Esau was the firstborn, but the birthright, the privileges, and inheritance were given to the secondborn, Jacob. And, this is, and Jesus is the firstborn because He is the example for all Christians to conform their lives to. Romans 8.29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And verse 16 reads, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. By Him, through Him, for Him, all things were created. And Paul is further emphasizing Jesus Christ did not come into existence when He was born of the Virgin Mary. That could not be possible if He created all things in heaven and on earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6 reads, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. For one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. John chapter 1, verse 3 also reads, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. Let us consider the eight amazing planets that Jesus Christ has created, with Jupiter being the biggest, with a 43,441-mile radius, 100 to 200 million galaxies, 206 bones 
are in our human bodies. A hundred billion nerve cells are in, inside of our brains. And consider the birth of a newborn and how amazing that is. And I had the opportunity of actually help birth uh, my daughter Emery into the world and to see her breathe her first breath. And that didn't happen until I passed her over to her mother. Because we all know that children love their mothers most, right? (laughs) And so that was an amazing thing to see. An amazing thing to be part of. Which I would not have been a part of if she was born in a hospital. So I am grateful for that. And consider the oxygen that we breathe into our lungs. And how we don't see it, but it is the breath of life that is from God. That is created by Jesus Christ. We cannot fathom the details in the glory of heaven, to say the least. And Jesus Christ created all of these things from heaven above to the earth below. And all praise be to Christ. Furthermore, Jesus also created the angels and all the ranks of angels. Thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Jesus is not simply an emanation from God or even as as Gnostics assumed Jesus Christ to be. They thought He was an angel and that is not true. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 reads, says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Paul is warning the Colossians to not be deceived into considering empty philosophies, the worshiping of angels and asceticism, but to worship Christ and Christ only, the one who created everything visible and invisible. This is relevant for today because there are many people that fall prey into believing the law of attraction, which is also known as new thought, the worshiping of angels within the New Age religion, or even falling deep into conspiracy theories. And a lot of that happened uh, during COVID or during uh, the presidency of Trump and stuff like that. Coming up with different uh, ideologies and conspiracies about what is going on. And the law of attraction is as follows. It's a spiritual belief That positive and negative thoughts bring positive or negative experiences into a person's life. The belief is based on the idea that people and their thoughts are made from pure energy and that that similar energy can attract other energies, allowing people to improve their health, wealth, or personal relationships, which is like the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. A lot of uh, law of attraction is in that type of context. And we, we know of Joel Osteen. He, he tells you to look into a mirror and, and say, I am blessed, I am handsome, I am highly favored of God, I am this, I am that. To hopefully speak things into existence in your life to change realities just based on the words that you speak. And there's also New Age, which has infiltrated the church, unfortunately. Uh, They believe in reincarnation, astrology, physics, and 
the presence of spiritual energy in physical objects like mountains or trees. They believed Jesus was just an enlightened man. People mix in New Age practices with Christianity today. They look and, uh, and consider their daily horoscopes. They dabble with angelic crystals and tarot cards. And they strongly consider the Enneagram. And in the Enneagram, there are uh, nine different types of personalities. And the goal is to figure out which number you fit with most and uh, figure out who you're most compatible with uh, as far as you know, getting married or having a relationship. An example of this, of New Age practices, uh, is been mixed in with Bethel Church in Redding, California. They do all this kind of stuff, like grave soaking and, and uh, you know, angelic uh, crystals and using the Enneagram, and they believe in uh, prophetic personalities, like what type of prophet or prophetess are you? And that is all heresy. That is all false teaching. And there's cons- conspiracy theory as well. I believe that there's some secret but influential organization and they are responsible for an event or a phenomenon. Some have made idols out of these conspiracies and instead of allowing God's Word to speak truth to them, they would rather consider and search for hidden lies. When it is proven to be a lie, they don't go to God's Word. They go on to the next conspiracy bandwagon that pops up on their Instagram or TikTok feed. All things were created by Jesus Christ and for the glory of Jesus Christ. According to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It is not about us, but all about the glories of Jesus Christ There's no hidden secrets apart from Him. And they are not worth searching or worth wasting your time. Paul is encouraging the church of Colossae to worship Jesus as Creator and to not worship the creation. And He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. Why does Paul start this uh, portion of Scripture with He is again. And it is because Jesus, He's trying to make it emphatically clear to the church of Colossae that Jesus is the image of the invisible God in verse 15. He is before all things. He is the one that holds all things together before Abraham was I am. Why? Because of the supremacy of Christ and His truth. He is God with us. He is God for us. And He is God in us. If you are a believer in the Gospel. and he, If He has truly transformed your life. And you have made Him Lord and Savior over your life. How do you make the decisions that you make in life? the job that you work at, the place that you live, or the church that you attend, 
Is it because of the supremacy of Christ over your life? Do you seek His supremacy and guidance before you make a decision? Or is it because the job pays more? Um, Is it because the place you chose to move has less liberals and more conservatives, more Republicans and less Democrats, vaxxers or non-vaxxers? Is that why you make the decisions that you make? Did you make a specific church your home because of the hip and contemporary worship experience? The supposed dynamic preaching and the endless list of vibrant ministries that you can join? Or did you submit to the rule and the reign and the supremacy of Christ over your life and trust Him and bloom where you are planted? Furthermore, from Paul's perspective, he is reiterating to the Colossian church that Jesus was in loving fellowship with His Father before the foundations of the earth were laid. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. Then forwarding to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the sustainer of all things in heaven and on earth since the beginning of time until now, and He will continue to sustain all things until the new earth and the new Jerusalem is created by Him. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3-4 through reads, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And having become as much superior to the angels as the name that He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of His power. And only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can speak things into existence. By the word of His power, the universe is maintained and sustained. And this shatters the false teaching contained in the word of faith movement that assumes that children of God can speak things into existence because they're supposed little gods. Many in the world believe in evolution. That, and they believe that matter is made of space. How does space hold matter together? Can you tell me that? Christ is the one that is holding everything together. The only reason why we are here today, church family, observing and looking at one another, shaking each other's hands, is because... Christ holds all things together. Consider gravity, how amazing gravity is. Keeping us grounded. Keeping us here. 
Without gravity, everything would just float away into the space, including us, animals, and objects. The sun has gravity that keeps the earth orbiting around it and at a perfect distance to enjoy its sunlight and its warmth. Gravity keeps the moon in place. And it also creates the beautiful waves in the oceans. And we love to view that, don't we? While sitting on the sand at, at a beach or on vacation. That's an amazing sight. Christ created the gravity that holds all things together. We would cease to exist without gravity. And without Christ and His handiwork, nothing would exist. And nothing would be maintained or sustained in life and in creation. Not only did Paul write about the supremacy of Christ in his creation, but he also wrote to the Colossians about the supremacy of Christ in his church. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Because Christ is preeminent, he is the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The body of the church is totally dependent upon its head. Without Christ as head, the church would not exist. There would be no reason for us to gather here. The church has many members as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12-13. through 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. There was one body with many members and functions in the church, but Christ is the head of all. Christ is in complete control and provides health and guidance for His church. Additionally, Paul emphasizes that Jesus was with the Father from the beginning. And Jesus is the beginning. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3-5, through Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Before the foundations of the world, Christ was with the Father. And once again, Paul is reiterating that Jesus is not a created being. He has existed as the second person of the Trinity, God's Son, since eternity past. Not only is Christ the firstborn of all creation, with the rights and the inheritance, power and authority, but He is also the firstborn from the dead. Jesus Christ is the first person to die 
to resurrect and to maintain and remain alive in glory. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but guess what? He died again. Jesus was raised from the dead and never died again. He lives, he rules, he reigns today, seated at the right hand of the Father. This is what makes Jesus Christ surpass all others, as Merriam-Webster defines preeminence. Muhammad in uh, Islam is buried in the tomb of Muhammad. And some suggest that Buddha was cremated in India. Confucius was buried in the cemetery of Confucius in China. Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb, but He resurrected on the third day. He was seen of men for 40 days. And He ascended to heaven to be seated and exalted at the right hand of the Father. Isn't that amazing, church family? By the same token, Paul wrote about the supremacy of Christ in his church and proceeded to emphasize about the sufficiency of Christ in who He is. Verse 19, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. And this portion of Scripture is referring to the incarnation of Christ. When Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is fully God and He is fully man. And Paul refutes false teaching in Colossians 2.9. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Essentially, Paul didn't want them to be deceived into believing a Gnostic teaching that assumed that emanations or parts of God can be divided. An example of this is portrayed in what many Greeks believed. The ancient Greeks, more specifically, believed that There were many gods and goddesses. And these gods and goddesses controlled everything in their lives and in their environment. There was a God for every aspect of their lives. And Paul is clarifying, no, the fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus Christ 100%. God dwelled in temporary things in the Old Testament. If you all remember the tabernacle, God dwelled in there temporarily. The Ark of the Covenant. Solomon's Temple. The fullness of God, however, was pleased to dwell in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Once and forevermore. From the Council of Nicaea, the Nicene Creed established in 325 A.D. that we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father, through Him all things were made. And Christ is sufficient 
And the fullness of God was pleased to dwell because He has existed with the Father eternally. Jesus is not a creature. He was not made. And He is one with the Father. And let us consider a quote from Jonathan Edwards, which is pretty uh, deep here, uh, as Jonathan Edwards is. right? So let us uh, try to understand this. As God with perfect clearness, fullness, and strength, understands himself, views his own essence. That idea which God hath of himself is absolutely himself. This representation of the divine nature and essence is the divine nature and essence again. So that by God's thinking of the deity... The deity must certainly be generated. Hereby, there was another person begotten. There was another infinite, eternal, almighty, and most holy, and the same God, the very same divine nature. And this person is the second person of the Trinity, the only begotten and dearly beloved Son, of God. Our understanding of this hymn is not complete by considering what Paul wrote about the sufficiency of Christ in who he is. We must also comprehend and consider the sufficiency of Christ in what he has done in verse 20. And through him to reconcile himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. By the blood of Jesus that was shed at Calvary, atonement and redemption was made possible for sinners. And they have been reconciled through Him into a right standing relationship with the triune God. What is wrong has been made right through Christ. What is wrong? You and I. That is what's wrong. We are sinners and we need a Savior. Humanity always asks the question, why does a loving God allow for evil in this world if He is truly loving? The question already assumes that the problem is God. And the decision that decisions that he makes. We are already going down the wrong path because we think that there is something wrong with God. Something wrong in what he created. And that he needs to do something or change something. But we got it all wrong, church family. We should be asking, why does God allow me to live another day considering all of the sins that I have committed against His holiness on a day-to-day -day basis. He should have taken my life already. Why is God so gracious? Why is God tarrying? As Bob Coughlin wrote, no list of sins I have not done. No list of virtues I pursue. No list of those I am not like can earn myself a place with you. O oh God, 
be merciful to me. I am a sinner through and through. My only hope of righteousness is not in me, but only you. Thankfully, the Father made the choice of sending His Son to reconcile creation and fallen humanity to Himself. This was satisfied and made a reality through Jesus Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. The blood that Christ shed on the cross canceled the debt that was accumulated by the sins of humanity. Through repentance and belief in Christ's work on the cross, sinners are justified, forgiven, cleansed, and adopted into the household of God. Sin separated us from our triune God. But the Father accepted the substitutionary death of His Son in our place. Christ fully satisfied the Father's wrath against you and me. Those who repent and put their faith in Christ are reconciled, justified, and forgiven by grace and through faith. At the same time, new believers have been reconciled to be co-heirs with Christ. Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 16 through 17 reads, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be also glorified with Him. We are children of God. We have an eternal inheritance, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-5. through According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Those who belong to Christ have an expected end and eternal security, as it says in John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Nowhere else in Scripture does it use the language specifically making peace by the blood of His cross. Scripture discusses the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, but Paul combines both in this portion of Scripture. God is sovereign, in control, and at work in the lives of His children. And let us rest in a quote from Eric Sauer, a German theologian. The offering on Golgotha extends its influence into universal history. The salvation of mankind is only a part of the world embracing counsels of God. The heavenly things will also be cleansed through Christ's sacrifice of Himself, 
A cleansing of the heavenly places is required if on no other ground than that they have been the dwelling of fallen spirits and because Satan, their chief, has for ages had access to the highest regions of the heavenly world. The other side becomes this side. Eternity transfigures time. The earth, the chief scene of reconciliation, is reconciled itself and becomes the palace of the universal kingdom of God forever. Taking into account all that Christ has supremely created and sustained, and how the person and work of Christ is sufficient, I would like to remind you all of my proposition and ask the following concluding questions. My proposition is as follows, once again, be certain that Jesus Christ is sufficient to withstand false teaching and live a complete life in Christ. And these are my questions here for my church family. Do you believe that Christ is enough? Does the supremacy of Christ over creation and His church give you a burning desire to worship Him more? Do you feel led to study more about Christ in Scripture? For those that haven't made Christ their Savior yet, is the knowledge of the fullness of Christ leading you to repent, believe, and live for the Gospel? Fellow believers, if you haven't already, do you have a desire to be baptized out of allegiance to Christ? just wanted to share a little bit of my testimony and my wife's testimony as well. When my family and I met with Pastor Rod uh, for the first time in 2021, considering our history of false teaching, which I already shared about in my introduction, the false teaching, the doctrine, and theology, I asked if Yuki and I should be baptized correctly in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Rod recommended it is because we were baptized in Jesus' name for salvation in my previous context. And after my wife Yuki and I came to the understanding of the Trinity and the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we wanted to be baptized out of obedience, allegiance, and repentance to Christ. Looking back two years ago, nothing mystical happened because nothing mystical should happen when you get baptized. But I am so glad that we had the opportunity to repent publicly, to be baptized and make a commitment to live for His Gospel in the newness of life and salvation provided by grace through faith in Christ. And God is faithful and worthy of our praise. And as I come to a close, let us ponder the lyrics from the hymn entitled, O Praise the Name. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died me. I see His wounds. I see His hands. His feet. My Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound 
and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, my Messiah, still and all alone. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing Your praise. O Lord, O Lord our God. Then on the third, at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night. And I will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for this amazing morning that You have blessed us with, the opportunity to learn about and be reminded of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ alone against false teaching and false ideologies And we are reminded that we are truly complete in Your Son, Jesus Christ. What we truly need is a relationship with Your Son alone. And would You help us to do that? Would You help us in our intimacy, in our private time, in our devotional life to seek Your Son and to grow and to be in Your presence and to be shaped in fashion to be like Your Son? And Father, I pray for any of those that are present this morning that have not repented and believed in the Gospel, in what Your Son has done, dying on the cross in their place, bearing the wrath that should have been poured out on them. You placed that wrath on Your Son. And He resurrected. He died. He resurrected. And He ascended. And He rules and He reigns. And He is alive today. Father, I pray that You would convict those that have not repented, that they would live for You. And for those that are believers, Father, that You would refresh us, that You would remind us, that You would encourage us, that You would kindle a passion within us to worship Your Son, to grow, to learn more about Your your Gospel, to Spend more time in Your Word gleaning from what You have to say to us, Father. For Your Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and of joint and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And to Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that is in Christ Jesus. Father, we pray this all in Your precious Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.